You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here in Frozen Tundra, Central Maryland, Conservative Review's Northern Command. And it is a new month. It is Friday, February 1st. And I am really looking forward to this weekend more than ever, because as you all know, I am finally taking a vacation with my wife without the kids. That's the best part. Um, Early part of next week. So we will be out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's why we filled this week with a lot of action. And I apologize. I haven't been able to get to everything. There's tons of more immigration news, uh, sundry news on a lot of other legislative matters. I haven't gotten a chance to write. I'm going to try to get out a couple articles before I leave. We're going to have our big piece on New Mexico coming out. But this week was particularly special because it will be the first week ever where we had two Arizona sheriffs on the show in one week. Uh, On Tuesday, we had on Sheriff Mark Daniels of the eastern part of Arizona. It's Cochise County, bordering New Mexico. And each, each area has its own story. And we're trying to learn about each area of the border, its unique challenges, the unique magnets, um, and what various law enforcement is doing. So today, we're going to be joined by someone on the western side of the state, far western corner of Arizona, Yuma County, um, Sheriff Leon Wilmot. He was, man, he was doing law enforcement since I was in diapers, over 32 years in the sheriff's department there. In 2013, he became the sheriff of Yuma County. He was elected, and he served for a while as president of the Arizona Sheriff's Association. He's on the national board of the the national organization, National Sheriff's Organization. He's also the chairman of the Southwestern uh, Border Sheriff's coalition. So let me tell you, there's few people around who know more about law enforcement, particularly as it relates to the border, uh, which is why it is an honor to be joined by Sheriff Wilmot today. Hey, Sheriff, how are you doing? Well, good. How are you today? And uh, thanks for uh, reminding me that I'm getting older there, by the way. (laughs) No, I'm telling you, I mean, (laughs) you were in that department since pretty much I was in diapers. So uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we like to call it the sheriff's office because we are the office of the people. We're not a department under anybody. So we we on the the Western sheriffs, it's all the office of sheriff because that's who we work for and that's who voted us in the office. So. You know, and I think that's Just a good place to, to throw start. out there. Yeah, I think that's actually Absolutely. a good place to start. That um, one of the things that really troubles me is, you know, I know you're a Christian. Um, you care about all people. We all care about all people. We pray for all people. You know, with your own private charity, you could give to domestic, to international. But I thought, or at least we used to all understand that if you're an elected official from sheriff to county official, state official, um, congressman, senator, governor, you swear an oath to defend your people. Okay, that that is that is not a private charity. You have to protect your people. This is not about Central Americans. It's not about Mexicans. Your own people. Yet, why is it in Washington? I, I'm just telling you. 
it's almost taboo. You're not allowed to care about Americans. Somehow that's like nasty or racist. You can only care about the illegal immigrants. Some of them are criminal. Some of them aren't, but they're all here illegally. They're not part of the social compact. Um, I'm just curious, just philosophically, how you view your job as sheriff. Well, as a sheriff, I mean, our, our whole main focus and goal is to uh, to provide for protection in, of our uh, citizens of who we were elected by. I mean, at uh, Arizona, we, we have pretty large counties. There's only 15 sheriffs in the whole state. So each and every county is roughly about 5,000 square miles or more. But the the whole thing with the sheriff is that uh, we we are connected with our communities, and for most of us, we have been for many many years. So you're you're dedicated to serving them and improving their quality of life. The unfortunate thing that we see is that we we as our citizens elect these people to represent us back in Washington D.C. and once they get there, they lose focus on why they're there and how they got there, and they're more uh, in tune to special interest groups and what their agenda is, and that's what we're seeing today. And it's an unfortunate situation. We we have very few in Congress that are engaged with the uh, sheriffs on the border right now in regards to what's going on, and uh, you know, for them to be sitting up there making these decisions when. I mean, they've even been invited. I know ranchers down in Cochise County, and, and I've been to every one of the counties, and we communicate back and forth just about daily in regards to uh, what's happening and what the impacts are on, on our counties. And it, it's just a shame that they're not more engaged in listening to the boots on the ground that are feeling the impacts. You'll notice right now, you don't see governors talking about this situation. They're they're shying away from it. You don't see a lot of Congress folks from both sides sitting there saying, yes, I was down on the border, and yes, I was engaged with the farmers like I have here, the uh, ranchers that are down in Cochise County or the tribal nations in regards to what the impacts are on them and how best to serve them. I mean, the, we are their voice, and... We continuously try to get across to our congressional delegation that's in D.C. what it is that's needed and who they need to pay attention to. So when when I look at your county, um, you know, again, you have the full spectrum of history of this migration pretty much since the 1986 amnesty, where we amnestied the first wave, which was mainly in California. Am I kind of getting this right? The If you look at the ebb and flow of the magnets, what was happening. So the 90s, early 2000s, you have the big second wave of Mexican illegal immigration. These people you know, don't want to get caught, so they try to sneak in. A lot of them did. A lot of them successfully came in. A lot of them we actually returned right away. We didn't have so much law there. Um, then, interestingly enough, Yuma, of all places, the Yuma sector, you guys built, or the, the feds obviously built a um, double layer, someplace triple layer fence. I'm looking at the statistics, and apprehensions went down by 96 percent from 2005 to 2014. Then in 2014, we had the explosion of Central Americans begin a new wave, mainly UACs, mainly in Texas. And then you know, Trump takes office. 
early 2017, just the perception that he's going to enforce the law shuts it down. You get nothing. And then it wears off for several reasons, some court opinions. Fortunately, even the president himself started talking about amnesty and children. It all became about bringing children. Late, right. late last year, I'm looking at the – let me just pull this up right now. Looking at the numbers – and there was a 180% increase in the Yuma sector of uh, family units. Um, it went from just looking at total apprehensions, went uh, is all the way up from 5,000 to 26,000 last year. Then you have the first few months of this fiscal year, which is exploding even more. You see hundreds pouring over the fence that seemingly, you know, was impervious before. Now it looks like they're coming over. Did I get more or less the history right there? And what does that tell you? Well, what it does is it tells me that uh, it, this is a prime example of what happens when you don't have the prosecution nexus along with the uh, the border security and homeland security that's being put into place. And you know what what folks need to realize is I would tell you in the in the last three months because the the federal fiscal year is in October. They've already had over 15,000 apprehensions just in the Yuma sector alone. Wow. Along the international boundary. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And whoa. Wait, slow it down there. Let me do my math. I'm a little bit slow today. Okay. So, three, if you would annualize that, you know, at that rate, that would be like 60,000 in one sector. Right. And that's that's if this trend continues, that's what we're going to see. So, that is double and, last year, which in itself was a 180% increase. Right. And you look at the other ancillary costs that go with this. So you, you've seen the individuals that uh, have jumped over the fence and they're breaking legs, breaking hips, breaking arms. And these folks end up having to go to our hospital. Last year alone, Border Patrol had 1,700 of these individuals that they had to take to our local hospital, which we have one, Yuma Regional Medical Center. And because they take them to the hospital, they have to sit there with them. So that was about 10,000 man hours for Border Patrol agents just sitting at the hospital. And that cost us taxpayers $700,000 in medical bills. Now, that's just one small piece of the pie. And I'm right here on the border of uh, California and Mexico. So, and when you look at what's actually happening is these folks are going to these different locales and, and one of them is in the Carolinas, North Carolina, where that area, from what I understand, has well over 400,000 of these individuals that have ended up in North Carolina. And you get a chance, you might talk with Sheriff Sam Page because he can tell you some of the ancillary impacts that they're seeing now. Wow! Now you have to take into account, you know, the the number was that the courts were backed up by eight hundred thousand cases. Well, right now that's well over a million cases that are backed up in the courts, and they're finding that typically it'll take about five to eight years for these people to actually get a court date to see whether or not they're going to be allowed into this country for their asylum claim. Now. So far, what you're seeing is nine out of ten of these asylum claims are denied. 
So these individuals are disappearing into society. They're throwing away their paperwork. They're assuming somebody else's identity, and they're going out there, and they're hiding. And I will tell you that uh, from what they've been able to determine with this current caravan is that they've identified gang members that are infiltrating this caravan from a number of different gangs. We've all heard of MS-13, but you also have the Brown Pride Locos, the Serenos, La Primera, Latin Kings, uh, Mexican Mafia. So, and we just had a, when uh, Senator McSally came down, and she's one of the few that's actually engaged with the, the border sheriffs in Arizona, along with uh, Representative Gosar. He's also one that's uh, engaged and uh, listens to us and tries to get our voices yeah. heard back really in D.C. Guy. Really good guy. But, um, I mean, in the last two years, ICE has arrested over uh, 266,000 criminal aliens in the U.S., and 100,000 of those were for assault cases. Another 30,000 were arrested for sex crimes. So, and it, oh, and by the way, each Sarah, and every one of these folks, I mean, you, you look at the situation that we're in right now, each one of these individuals, when you hear these numbers, and it's important for people to understand, they're not just coming across for free. I mean, they're paying the cartels around $6,000 on average to get smuggled across the border because they don't want to go to the port of entries. So $600,000, and then now our Border Patrol, who aren't, designed for family units and the humanitarian effort are having to basically because of Congress not taking action and fixing the immigration laws have turned into a bed and breakfast and a transportation hub for the cartels to further their criminal enterprise because a they're not charging these individuals for entering this country illegally so now border patrols pretty much being transportation and uh, bed and breakfast. It, it's a sad situation, and, and the sheriffs are trying to get Washington, D.C. to start listening to the boots on the ground and adequately fund them for what is needed. I will tell you that the largest bust for fentanyl just happened yesterday down in Nogales. There's over 258 pounds, I believe, of fentanyl. So that was detected by a dog working at the port of entries. And when you look at the port of entries, that's where the largest amount of the hard narcotics are coming through. Because A, you can get large bulk loads across. Because B, you have barriers that prevent them from doing that along other areas on the border. And that's why the barriers are a focus. But they won't tell you is that that's the... The reason why you need the barriers to prevent this stuff from coming across through the deserts where you can actually funnel it to a location so you can actually detect it and apprehend it before it gets to the rest of the country. Wow. There is so much you just said that I will tell you it is lost on even even the Republicans in Washington. There's a lot of things. I want to take apart each piece. I'm shocked at how you sitting in Arizona – you know, you, you'd think you'd say, okay, they go to California, they go to Chicago, they go to New York. You're able to trace it to North Carolina because right now I'm looking at an article from the Epoch Times, Charlotte Cupperson. Um, she does good work, good reporter. And she actually, as you're talking, I remember the article she wrote on North Carolina. 
And she quoted Rockingham County Sheriff Sam Page. And they were saying, yeah. if something gets through the border within a few days, two or three days, it's across this country. And he noted, and several other sheriffs there, that they are now starting to see around Greensboro and that area a drug yeah. trafficking hub where you have the, the um, uh, nine tray gangsters, um, other, other gang-related activity where you literally have cartel hits, violence, you know, the type of stuff you would see with rival gangs in Mexico, you now see in Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh, absolutely. And, and I was wrong on that amount in the uh, semi-truck yesterday. It was 254 pounds of synthetic fentanyl, along with two pounds of pills, as well as 395 pounds of methamphetamine. So that's what was in one truckload. But that's why the barriers come into play, because they are a vital part of the whole border security system. They help funnel that stuff, so I'm not getting it in stolen vehicles like we used to do, being uh, driven across the border. Sure. And Yeah, you, you talk with the, the sheriffs over there in North Carolina, they, they tracked them. And the thing is, these folks, they're paying to get smuggled across. The cartels are embedding these folks in certain areas where they're assuming somebody else's identity and going to work, as well as having to pay the cartels for another full two years. So the cartels have a a big, big portion of this, and they're marketing it. And, you know, marijuana used to be the cash crop. Now it's uh, humans that are the cash crop for the cartels. And Washington, D.C. needs to pull their heads out of the sand, start paying attention, and start uh, growing the spine and telling people no, especially those special interest groups, that we cannot continue in this manner. They need to stop it because all they're doing is furthering the criminal activity of the cartels, and they're exploiting these children who are being taken into the sex trade along with the females. It's just ridiculous what we're seeing. Could you elaborate further on how much strain this puts on your county um, before we get kind of into the rest of the country, which we've already talked about with North Carolina, just what this looks like when, um, you know, I don't know much about your county, but what I do see is when CBP Yuma puts out on social media these videos and pictures of hundreds of, you know, they're at a very minimum, they're impoverished and some have, you know, illnesses. Um, the more sinister part of it is some of them have, you know, criminal issues. What does that oh, do yeah. to your county? Well, it, it, it's a fact that, you know, the, the citizens become concerned again. At what point do we end up back like we were back in 05 and 06 with the rapes and the robberies and the, the homicides happening here? I, I will tell you, when when Border Patrol Yuma sector gets a group like this that comes across all at once, it takes a Border Patrol agent on average about two and a half hours to actually process one individual. Wow. So they're set up for like 10, 10 workstations to be able to do this processing where if it's an individual from Mexico that comes across illegally, it only takes about 5, 10 minutes, maybe 30 minutes at the most. 
So you're tying up Border Patrol agents processing these folks. Their warehouse now looks like a miniature Costco because Border Patrol agents now have to go into town to our local stores and buy hygiene products, diapers, baby formula, uh, food, because now they got to feed these folks. They've got to process them. They've got to take care of the medical issues, some of which, I mean, they, they had one the other day over in Imperial County where individual had tuberculosis. They had to take him to the hospital, and that individual uh, snuck out the window of the hospital, and he's on the loose. Wait, so wait, it, that's that a Yuma hospital? Stuff. No, that was over in, in California. In California, huh? Yeah. So now we have but someone I mean, with TB on the loose. They have somebody with uh, tuberculosis on the loose out in their community. So, I mean, our Border Patrol agents are exposed to all these different things day in and day out while Congress is sitting there thumbing their knuckles, not taking care of their individuals that are down here being exposed to these dangers each and every day. You know, it's like I was telling you with uh, giving McSally uh, a ride down to see where the, the individuals had uh, that group of 300 plus that crossed. Just as we were doing that, we had two MS-13 members that were caught at the uh, the river corridor. So, and then Border Patrol is not designed to to hold that amount of people. They only have a finite amount of resources to be able to do what they're doing. So they have to work with the NGOs after ICE gets them. ERO, who's in charge of assuming the custody of these folks, right. well, they don't have the trap the the infrastructure to be able to haul these folks. So when you get a large group like this and you get overwhelmed, ICE works with the NGOs, non-governmental organizations, such as churches, to try to find a place for these people to go spend the night so they can get on the bus the next day to go to North Carolina or South Carolina or Florida or San Diego. So you get to the point where your NGOs are exhausting all of their resources. I will tell you when they had to release 700 of them just here in Yuma not too long ago, it was a scramble because we don't have an NGO in Yuma that can handle that amount of people all at once. Mm. And even Greyhound bus lines is overwhelmed that they don't have enough drivers to handle what's going on now. So what does that tell you in the bigger scope of things? When Greyhound can't handle the transportation and your NGOs who have been helping ICE can't keep up, something needs to be done. And the unfortunate thing is when we as the United States, we have a database to show the criminals to be able to expose them for the most. These other countries where these folks are coming from don't have the infrastructure like we do in regards to who are the bad guys, who who are the rapists, who are the, the, the murderers, you know? People need to understand that those countries don't have that infrastructure to adequately identify sure. these folks. So you're not so, always going to get an Interpol hit on them. But no, there has been criminals. some inter. I mean, there have been some Interpol hits, fortunately, because there was individuals that have uh, been in trouble in the U.S. before or in other countries for doing things. So there have been some Interpol hits, 
And like I was talking about earlier, as far as the the individuals that have uh, criminal histories, I mean, they're looking at uh, 600 and plus that in this caravan now that have been identified as uh, having criminal histories, 320 plus for kidnapping, robbery, ag assaults, homicides, sex crimes with children, and, and weapons violations. So, I mean, this is no joke. I mean, and it shouldn't be taken as one back in Washington, D.C. It really shouldn't. And our federal partners, uh, Homeland Security, I will tell you that Secretary Nielsen and her her uh, her personnel are engaged with us. This is the first that it's ever happened. And she was able to actually get a border sheriff on the Homeland Security Advisory Council, which there's never been one for yep. the past Sheriff Daniels. So, and Sheriff Daniels, and he's a good partner. I mean, he 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 assumed my position on the uh, Immigration and Homeland Security Board for the National Sheriff's Association when I got elected to the board for NSA. And uh, he's a good man. I, I will tell you, the, the border sheriffs as a whole, you know, not everything that's being asked for by the administration is is what we need individually, but we agree as a whole that it is needed for those other areas that do need it. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about, a little geography to explain the migrants, the drugs, and the fencing. If you could just explain a little bit. Um, so again, for our listeners, you know I'm an Easterner, so I don't know much there. I know you got y- Yuma City, which is kind of in the bootleg of the county where it it uh, where you, you you don't only have a southern border of Mexico, but you actually have a western border butts up against... Uh, Mexico goes up a little higher there, so you got a west, right. a western boot, and then it goes south, and then outside of Yuma, you go, you know, a bunch of miles all the way down where seemingly everything south of Interstate Eight. It seems like there's nothing there. Could you explain where the fencing is, where it isn't, and one a second part of that is, you know, what I'm told so many other places, particularly New Mexico is that while they're shutting down our border patrol, and that's what it is, it's a shutdown, like you said, making them act like a bed and breakfast, um, transportation, I mean, literally, rather than national security, um, combating people that are literally at least as ruthless as, as ISIS and Al-Qaeda in their tactics, what they do, bringing bad stuff in, do you also fear that you have the problem while they shove the people in the southwest corner in in, in the urban area What's going on in that rural area? And just kind of speak to the fencing there. Well, to, to give everybody a, a picture of Yuma County, like I said earlier, we're about 5,500 square miles, and we share a border with uh, California and, and Mexico, of that which there's uh, between, uh, and we have two tribal nations, the uh, and Kashan, uh, who are right there with us in Yuma County as well as uh, they go over into Imperial County, which is over in California. And a portion of our international boundary is separated between us and California and and Mexico by the Colorado River. So I have a river area that uh, where the river actually goes into Mexico. I also have two military bases here, one being the uh, MCAS Yuma, which is well known for the uh, weapons tactics instruction for all of our uh, military to come down and train out in the desert environment. 
either on the ground or from air. And also have uh, Yuma Proving Grounds, which is the U.S. Army's uh, test center, where they test all the equipment before it gets deployed out to the troops. For international boundary, Yuma proper, I have about 110 and a half miles of international boundary with Mexico. 63 and a half miles of that is actual fencing. 44 and a half miles of that is vehicle barrier, mm. which is basically what you would consider either Normandy type barrier and or a floating bar fence. And that's typically found all along the uh, Colorado River corridor because obviously you're not going to be able to put a fence in a river. So, uh-huh. and there's about 18. Well, two sections that are about nine miles long, a secondary and third uh, fencing down there towards uh, San Luis, Arizona. Near near the port of entry? Right, near the the ports of entry. We have two ports of entry in in Yuma. We have one that uh, is right there in San Luis and one that's out towards further towards the the east, which is a uh, newly established commercial port of entry. We also have another port of entry that's right across our border with California, which is Algodones. And that's over in California, which is right next door. So we roughly have a little over 200,000 full-time residents. And during the wintertime, we get about an influx of another 100,000 between winter visitors as well as agriculture. Yuma is a large agricultural area. It's about a $4 billion industry. So we get the agricultural influx as well as uh we have dairy farms as well as uh, or dairy cattle as well as uh, other cattle feeder lots in Yuma. So that's the biggest part of Yuma County. So when you get the situation that we're 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 dealing with now, so far these individuals are just turning themselves in. So it's more of a strain on Border Patrol, which takes away from their primary obligation to be doing border security patrols to ensure that uh, somebody else isn't sneaking in. And so, that's so that, where, that was my question. If you go down, yeah. um, what, what is that route two, uh, all the way down there? Highway two, yeah. Hi- highway two at at the, at the border. Um, just literally going miles down southeast, all the way down on the way towards uh, towards Pima County, towards the Tucson right. sector. Is there a fear? Because this I know is definitively happening. We have an article out today on New Mexico where you know similar story to San Luis, where at Antelope Wells in Hidalgo County they shoved three hundred at a time. They had twenty six groups of a hundred or more since the beginning of the fiscal year, and then it's beyond there in the desert where the cartels bring in all their other stuff they want to bring in knowing in full confidence the agents are shut down. So do you have that in the rural part of your county, that concern? And is that where you only have uh, um, vehicle barriers instead of more substantial fencing? 
Well, and towards the east of Yuma, Yuma in San Luis, it goes into the, the desert area. Obviously, there is fencing that goes all along that portion of the international boundary. Most of it was designed, as you were saying, because of the problems that we had with the uh, foot traffic as well as the uh, vehicles and UTVs that were being utilized to smuggle dope across the border. So initially, that, that uh, fencing was put in to deter vehicle traffic and uh, try to do deter the foot traffic as well. Um, unfortunately, they're, uh, the cartels are the ones that dictate where these individuals cross, and they change it up on a routine basis depending on what's going to be best for them to get these people across to be able to get their uh, their product, which is them, to their final destinations because they're still going to own for a couple of years. So that is a fear for us because we, we've experienced the deaths in the desert where the smugglers who don't value life would abandon these folks and let them die in the desert. And we've also experienced this situation where these individuals would also uh, take advantage of the women and the children. And we have to handle those cases. So we, we, don't have the deaths in the desert that we used to and the rapes and the robberies. Uh, our fear is that if they're going to start working towards the more rural areas again, that we are going to start experiencing that drain on our operations and handling those types of cases. So it is a concern. It's a humanitarian issue that uh, Washington, D.C., like we said, this ain't a joke. They need to get on it. You got to get back to prosecuting these individuals that cross illegally and not through the ports of entry. Um, we charge people here for committing crimes, and if they have a kid with them, they get turned over to CPS. They need to do the same thing with these individuals if they if they can't obey the rule of law. What makes you think they're going to obey any other law in the United States? So, so I think that that's a point I really want to hone in on because you keep saying that, and I'll tell you, nobody in Washington talks that. Even the better guy, the more conservative guys. I'm sure guys like ghosts are understand it, but you know, they, they don't really focus on this solution. Everyone's looking for a solution. Okay, you got the wall, you got this statue, you got that. And and you're making the case that, well, you know, if, if you tell them that you come here with a kid, so it, l- l- let me phrase it like this. Obviously, we all know that the wall deters criminality. People who don't want to get caught because they're gonna, you know, it takes a while to get over it, even if you can, and by then you're gonna fear that you're gonna get interdicted. And if you don't, if you if we make it unpleasant for you, well, you're not going to want to get interdicted. So you're not going to go where where there's there's significant fencing. But if in fact we say not only aren't we going to prosecute you, but you come with a kid, it's pretty much your ticket to getting released within 20 days. The kid gets released, and then now um, a wacko judge in California somehow I guess rules over Arizona as well, and everywhere <laughs> everywhere else says that now the parent gets to go too. So then is that in fact what you're seeing in the urban parts of the Yuma sector where they come over just openly and they come over the fence? So it doesn't this prove that the wall is important, but only if you back it by the rule of law? Well, it's like we keep saying, you, you have to have all of it to be able to, to have a, a an effect. And the, the cause and effect of this decision that they've made now to not charge these individuals for entering the country illegally is what we're experiencing today. Lack of prosecution means that you've diluted the rule of law and you're not uh, 
you're not helping this situation at all. Uh, I will tell you when an individual takes a kid and drops it off a 20-foot fence over a Constantina wire that, to me, is endangerment. It's child neglect, child abuse. When you take a child after midnight and shove them into canal water underneath the fence and Constantina wire, you're exposing those kids to danger. And anybody else that would do that would be charged. But the unfortunate thing is that we as local law enforcement are going to have to assume that role because the federal government does not have any laws, according to the U.S. attorney, that they can charge these individuals for for endangerment or dragging a child across the desert without appropriate clothing and misuse. And unfortunately, some of these kids are retreads that these individuals are using. They're not actually their kids. And that's another problem for our Border Patrol folks and Customs is the fact that you can't positively identify a number of these kids as actually belonging to these adults. And they've already found 217 cases this last time that uh, were actually fraudulent family units. But it's not till after they've been released that they actually get any kind of tangible results or proof. Because how do you prove that these kids belong to that person that's saying that they're the dad or that they're the mother? When they don't have identification or any positive way to identify them other than we would have to utilize DNA here. Well, it's going to take more than 20 days to get DNA back to prove that this child actually belongs to that person, and they're not just using that kid to sex traffic when they get to their final destination. That's why we're saying is is what we're dealing with is not a joke, and it shouldn't be political in any way, shape, or form. You would not want any kid, I don't care where they're from, to be put through this kind of situation even if it was your own. I get the humanitarian side of it, but they also have to look at the ancillary impacts of the fact that we are dealing with a criminal organization. And we have to have the tools and the resources to ensure that these individuals are not being exploited further and abused by these individuals, especially kids. So, so basically, by us announcing to the world that you come here with a kid, it's your ticket to to just staying here indefinitely. Basically, you're saying that opened up an entire market where now, just like it used to be, and it still is as part of the cartel smuggling experience, where they supply them with false documentation. So you're saying right. in some cases, they supply them with a kid. Exactly. Wow. Um, I mean, that's... And, and, and individuals have been caught retreading kids here in Yuma before. So, and, and you, you talk at Yuma sector, I mean, they think that there's just one or two countries that are coming across here. There's individuals from that have been identified coming through the Yuma sector alone from 68 different countries out there. So it's including not just Middle Guatemala. East? I'm sorry? Including the Middle East? Oh, yeah. Because the media there, likes there's to been, deny that. There, there's been individuals from uh, countries of interest, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we get them from China, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, India. Uh, like I said, there there's 68 different countries that individuals that have been apprehended 
coming across illegally in the Yuma sector through the years last year. You know, and, and, and not all of them are family units. Oh yeah, they're they're embedded they're embedding themselves in these caravans in these family units and and trying to uh, claim that they're they're underage when they find out later that they're actually adults, but because they look young, they were able to to uh, get through. Yeah, there's all these so, stories of these twenty year olds being put in ninth grade classes throughout America. Um, well, no, I mean it, it's uh, it's it's just a fact. You know, without individuals having ID and sure. without any kind of infrastructure in those countries to be able to run their fingerprints or, their, or their, you know, ascertain their real name and date of birth, there's really no way to prove the identity of these individuals. So you really don't know what you're looking at unless, fortunately, you've got some people that have been caught and that are trying to come back in again. I mean, Border Patrol. Fortunately, because of the infrastructure we have on prior criminals that have been deported, have been able to intercept uh, sex offenders and uh, sexual assault suspects who have served time, been deported, and then they're trying to come back. We see that all the time. I don't know as if you get it back east, but uh, we we get that those press releases all the time on that. No, I mean, we see them, but, but I think the thing is we see them even more in the communities um, is this an accurate portrayal? Because it sounds like this where you're saying that, you know, pa- back in the past with the Mexican migration put forward by the cartels. So then really the southwest of America was under attack. That's really when you had a lot of problems. But with the Central American migration, so it, it strains the resources, that's for sure. But, Absolutely. you know, I remember seeing from the ICE field director, I forget his name, you probably know him in Phoenix. Um WKTAR, does that sound familiar? I just forget the the TV or radio station there. They did an interview with him, and he said that 95% of the Central Americans coming through Arizona go elsewhere, mainly the East Coast. And and the interesting thing is, you know, you're telling me how, yeah, you know, you're concerned. You don't want it to get back into where you had the rapes and all the, the cartel activity. The irony is, you know, we track this very closely here. You go to North Carolina, Montgomery County, Maryland, closer to where I am, Fairfax County, Virginia, um, and obviously, you know, uh, Suffolk County, uh, New York, Long Island. You what, what you guys might have seen a decade ago at the Southwest border, you're seeing it there. It's all cartel activity in the interior of the country. So in fact, isn't every County a border County now? Well, and that's why I said a while back, it, you know, we, we've been trying to educate Congress for a long time, testifying to them, telling them this is the what's needed to uh, have a positive impact to deter this criminal activity. And because they've neglected it for so long, they've pretty much uh, made every sheriff in the United States a border sheriff, you know, especially when you're you're, you're dealing with the situation now where 68 percent of the migrants are victims of violence on their journey just to get up to the international boundary and one out of three women are being sexually assaulted during this trip you know that's the kind of stuff that needs to get out there to uh these individuals that are trying to make these journeys that uh, you're, you're you're placing your kids as well as the the women in, in jeopardy uh being victimized and that's the the message that needs to get across and with the situation now it's going to be a drain on my resources but uh, 
we're going to have to start charging these folks for the child abuse, child neglect, child endangerment when this type of activity is happening down there along the international boundary. There, there are rules, and you need to follow them. If anybody else was to treat a kid like that, uh, local law enforcement is going to have to be stepping in and doing the job again, and it's going to impact our operations because our uh, there's no prosecution side for the U.S. attorneys to do. And the U.S. attorneys have been asking for the immigration laws to be updated for many, many years now, so the individuals can't be exploiting what's currently written to their favor. So We need folks to start calling Washington, D.C. and just tell them to uh, get to work and quit playing games. Because this tit-for-tat stuff is, is, is child's play. It really is. It, it, but but you know the, the problem is it shouldn't be it shouldn't be um political but it is so I I just put out an article and I uh, you're you're on my email list so you probably just got it as we're we're airing this um my report on on New Mexico and you know I'm talking with some of the county officials there trying to get in touch with the county sheriff um and basically. A bunch of ranchers just spoke out and said, "Look, we we got a major problem here. They're coming on our yards. They're sleeping in our barns. Um, you know, we're having trucks stolen, and you know, one um, th- th- this was KOB Home invasions, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and then and then and then I, I'm I'm just reading the, and and uh, for our listeners, I have posted the letter from the county." Um, manager, I'm speaking to her later today, actually, Tisha Green, as well as the county commissioners, where she wrote a letter to the state officials in Santa Fe. And, you know, you know, it's become very Democrat there. And it shouldn't matter, but it does, unfortunately, where they said that um, they're in dire need of resources and reinforcements. They're stretched thin thanks to the amounts of immigrants coming in daily. Um, and then they talk about 30 more Im- immigrants daily in, in people's yards. And warn about porta potties where they're leaving a pile of used toilet paper out in the open. The smell is horrific, and the thought of any type of disease that may now be exposed. Um, they talk about the disease. They're particularly they're having disease problems. Um, if you remember, that's where the individual with the flesh eating bacteria came in uh, last weekend. And then finally, um, they you know a bunch of ranchers said that. It's asinine, quote, asinine to suggest that there's no crisis because the governor, um, Lujan Grisham, new uh, new Democrat governor, claimed that it's kind of asinine. I'm claiming that there's no crisis. So, you know, imagine this is not the government official saying that this is the, you know, the rancher said, hey, that's asinine. So KOB4 published a response from the governor's office. Uh, you, you talk about tit for tat, Sheriff. Here, here it is. Quote, there is not an emergency crisis at the border that warrants the asinine and anti-American, anti-immigration tactics endorsed by the president and his minions. That's the proper context for the governor's remarks and the full story of what she was expressing. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't well, know what you do a, with that. It's it's sad. It's a really sad situation. And I, I will tell you that, uh, you know, like the sheriffs have always said, 
you know, no offense to the governors or DPS directors, but they're not the ones that are here each and every day who have been working in these locations closely with our communities and seeing the impacts and the devastation that can be caused because uh, politicians feeling that they know better than those that are boots on the ground. And we're, we're seeing the impact of that today. I, I will tell you that the, the ranchers in uh, Cochise County even volunteered to uh, fund the flight for Pelosi to come down there and actually see what they have to deal with. I've been down there. I've met those ranchers. I've listened to them. I knew uh, Sheriff Larry Deaver that was the sheriff of Cochise County long before uh, Sheriff Daniels came up. I mean, because we have that historical perspective and the amount of law enforcement and experience on the border. The, the governors don't have law enforcement experience. Very few have ever worked in our environment. And I will tell you that uh, you don't see very many politicians down out in the desert when it's 110 degrees in my neck of the woods during the summertime having to process a crime scene or deal with what we have to deal with. They're sitting in their air-conditioned office in D.C. behind a desk working with the special interest groups. They're not, they're not engaged with us. They really aren't. And that's what they were elected to do. They were elected to go in office to understand and talk with the people that are impacted and be their voice. And they're not doing that. Uh, okay, so they're so being Sh- the voice for special interests. Sheriff, I would be remiss if I didn't get your comment on this. So speaking of Pelosi refusing to go to the border, I found it very revealing that yesterday she said at a press conference that she would be open to nor- more more Normandy fencing. <laughs> what do you take from that? Well, I'm not sure how to take that. I mean, it, uh, are they are they doing a play on words? I mean, it only works in certain areas. I mean, you, you got to look at the the situation as a whole, and then what that geographic need is. Well, you know? I, I, to me, I thought that meant that she will support anything that doesn't work. I mean, it works to uh, you know stop vehicles, but what we're seeing with the with the foot traffic, I mean. That, that's what it well, tells it's not going to stop. Yeah, that's not going to stop foot traffic, but it'll surely stop vehicle traffic. And, and typically, that's where Normandy barriers are put is where you can't put fencing. I mean, you, you got some sheriffs, and I will tell you that uh, it makes complete sense why that sheriff says, I don't need a fence. It's because his border is a 300-foot straight cliff that goes yep, down. Yeah, Big Bend. You know? Big Bend area. They'll, they'll talk uh, yeah. about that in Texas. You know, so, and that's why sheriffs have always said, you need to be engaged with the local law enforcement and our federal partners in regards to anything that is done, because we are all involved in this. It's not just one entity or one group. I mean, you look at the the deal as a whole is I've got 14 different law enforcement entities in my county, you know, between the the sheriff's office, the police departments, you're, you're looking at the BLM rangers, you're looking at U.S. Fish and Wildlife federal officers, Border Patrol, Customs, ICE, DEA, FBI, and I can go on, you know, but when you see this kind of activity going on for us. I mean, uh, like I mentioned, we have a Marine Corps air station here where 
different countries come in with their aircraft and they train out in our deserts because it's the barium gold water range. Well, if they're sitting on that, that flight line, they're ready to taxi off. And this is what we had before. They'd be down here to train, but there'd end up being a group crossing out there through the bombing range. A, they're putting themselves in danger by crossing that bombing range, either on a vehicle or on foot and B it, you have to shut down any military training because they can't go out there because those individuals are out there illegally on military property and they can't go out there and train until they get them out. So there's other ancillary impacts as well as the impacts on the court system. I mean, you look, you look at what I was dealing with when I had the backpackers in my jail for smuggling dope across the border on foot because the U S attorney's office couldn't charge them. We'd end up charging them because we believe in 100% prosecution, and that's the only deterrent that really works. And I will tell you for a fact it works because people were avoiding Yuma because they knew that they were going to go to jail. (laughs) And now I'm going to have to refocus and look at also charging these individuals for uh, endangering their kids by doing what they're doing to them. No, No parent shoves a kid underwater under Constantino wire in a fence at midnight. You know, you just don't do that. So, unfortunately, that's that's the trend that we're looking at seeing again. And we get reimbursed five cents on the dollar <laughs> from the federal oh government. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and it's true. I mean, Arizona sheriffs as a whole typically end up absorbing $30 million a year because the feds don't adequately reimburse us because of the illegal aliens that we already have in our jails that have committed state crimes. So that that's another thing I just want to get on before we close up here. Um, kind of concerning me that, you know, it'd be one thing if they stayed in your area. So you get people like you and Sheriff Daniels and Sheriff Napier and uh, um uh, Pima County, so it's a good good roster you have there. But the problem is that they're not. They're almost all going to the East Coast, the major metros. And right. I think the lesson of what you're saying is evident because, I mean, you know this. You know I'm very big on this issue, even divorced from immigration, but it's a, inextricably linked to immigration on drug crimes. I mean, the entire culture of the criminal justice system across the country, they're heading in the opposite direction. Even with Americans, they're not... Uh, you know, jailing them anymore, um, you know, in most cases. And what you're seeing from ICE is astounding that ICE now has to get people that um, they, they, they got eight, 118 of them in New York this week, put out a press release, and they listed all the people that were um, charged with rape and sex crimes that the New, the New York local authorities let them go. So – I mean, to me, it tells me it's all the rule of law that if you had all the urban areas in America um, would be as strict as you are in Yuma or Cochise County, they wouldn't go there. They'd have nowhere to go because, you know, the first thing you do, DUI, um, you know, or anything like that, you, that, that's it. You know, we apprehend you. Oh, you're here illegally. Boom. We turn you over to ICE and, you know, all that criminality would be avoided. But... I just find that astounding. Well, you can thank that judge over in the Ninth Circuit Court that made that decision. I hope he sleeps well at night for making that kind of determination because now he's created part of this mess that we're dealing with today. Yep. No, I mean, it's it's a lot of it is court-driven. It's not even... I mean, some of the statutes need to be updated, but a lot of it is their um, bastardization their of the statutes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, I, mean I, I, I told you the other day, I, 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 I still don't understand why the administration is not asserting this. All the people who know immigration law that I deal with, it, you know, you look at the statute for unaccompanied alien children, it's very clear. It was designed for if cartels grab a kid, he's a victim of, quote, a severe form of trafficking, and he's just stuck here with nobody. So, yeah, you treat him like a refugee. But here you have other illegal uh, relatives self-trafficking him to come in. So it violates the statute on two accounts because they have relatives and they're self-trafficked, not a victim of a severe form of trafficking. And and the judges just do what they do and it create an entire industry, which which leads me to my final point. If we could talk about the mechanics of the cartels. Um, I know in Texas with the Zetas and the Gulf Cartel, I'm told by Texas DPS, they actually have experienced shootouts right at their border Um with these cartels. Yeah, we've had them down here, too. We've had them here, too. Is it Sinaloa that you're dealing with? Right. Yeah, Sinaloa cartel controls this end. The fact is that tunnel that we had was linked to uh, that cartel. The, the one dug under under the, the Yuma fence? Yeah. And um, well, when we're talking about the cartel, so are, are they more discreet in your area, or do you see them out in the open? Well, they're pretty discreet as far as uh, some of their activity goes. I mean, until you you get into the the, the shootings and stuff like that, I get that uh, are dealt with, and, and sometimes those individuals are actually transported to the the boundary and taken to our hospital here because they don't have the resources to to handle that type of injury. But uh, they they've had uh, like the assistant chief and others that have been shot down there. We don't get a whole lot of it. As far as the violence down in San Luis, Mexico, that other areas do encounter, but uh, it does happen. Yep. So it's just, uh, for the most part, it's kept away from these areas because of the amount of cross-border traffic we have with tourism Mm. and agriculture. So you don't get a lot of that violence down here in San Luis proper or Algodones or Morales. You don't get a whole lot of that there. It's, it's uh, once in a while type thing. But And I will tell you, for the most part, the, the citizens that live on these border counties, whether it's in the U.S. side or the Mexico side, they don't want to be dealing with the cartels and the violence and, and everything else that's going on. They don't want it in their neighborhoods any more than we do. So, so that's another thing you just reminded me of. I hear a lot in Texas, and I'm wondering if you could speak about that, um, where – in in Texas and, and California, San Diego's had that had a big problem with with um the cartels recruiting dual Mexican American citizens from these high schools and even middle schools on our side of the border to do drug running. Do you see that in your county at all? Yes, we do, and we we've uh, we've been working with uh, our federal partners with Border Patrol. We do a lot of. Uh, Education in the schools, I will tell you right now that uh, fentanyl is a big problem for St. Louis High School, and they just had a meeting down there with all the parents in regards to uh, that activity that's that's going on. I have a juvenile in my jail right now that was uh, busted coming across the port of entry with the carload of uh, hard narcotics. So we we do 100% prosecution. If the feds don't pick it up because they can't charge a juvenile, then we assume the case. So we do have a few. I will, I will tell you that uh, the juveniles that I have in my jail right now, which there are eight of them, 
they're being charged with adult crimes, either from gang type activity or narcotics, hard narcotics smuggling. And these ain't small amounts. I mean, what we used to see when I first started was you think a, a pound was a lot, but now it's <laughs> that's a small amount compared to what we're seeing now, hard narcotics. You know, when you're looking at like the 245 pounds that they just got yesterday of that uh, synthetic form of fentanyl, it's pretty scary. No, 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 no doubt. Final, but, yeah, final question. The juveniles, it, it's a big, big problem. You got, in most border counties, you've got kids that are actually U.S. citizens who live in Mexico or have family in Mexico that they go back and forth every day to come to school. So I think at one time they had a count of about seven to 800 kids a day that come across our our port of entry to go to school. So so the people with the border passes, right? The They're not visas yeah. really, but border passes. Um, no, they're actually U.S. citizen kids. It's uh, just that uh, they, some of them stay with other family members over in Mexico or they have uh, their families over there and they, they have dual, dual residences and dual citizenship but for the most part they're u.s u.s citizens um final question here gosh i could go on forever with you um this is just such a deep briefing um and i know my audience appreciates it in terms of resources what do you feel that you need either from the feds in terms of military what what would help you working with your sheriff's deputies and also Arizona DPS. I know Texas DPS has a lot of resources. They've really invested a lot on counter um, counter cartel activity. Um, they have their own intel and counterterrorism division. Do you feel more could be done at a state level? And then also, if you could talk about military National Guard. Well, unfortunately, Arizona DPS isn't well engaged with the uh, the sheriffs along the border. As far as communication goes, which is a shame, but the governor made a decision when he was elected that he was going to uh, have his entity more engaged with the feds in regards to border issues, which, you know, we, we try to help them be a success, but uh, not, al- not always does that happen when they're not engaged with us to work closely. Um, our main focus is uh, with DPS is making sure that the, the their their help is with the Intel centers and the fusion centers to be able to, to link all the information from all the different entities together for a clearinghouse for law enforcement. We utilize the uh, National Guard assets, so does our federal partners with the the military Intel analysts helping them do that. They're, they're a great help to uh, offset some of the manpower issues for Border Patrol to be able to do some of the construction stuff that they need to enhance the, the Port of Entry's infrastructure as well as uh, maintaining roads and stuff like that that they're actually trained for. So that that's a big help for our federal partners. Yeah, for sure. So I guess on a state level, we're not talking about an Arizona DPS with um, air assets uh, boats with guns on them, you know, like you have in Texas. No. Well, in Arizona, the the statute, the way it's written, is if the Coast Guard's not out here on the water, which I'm I'm the only county right here that has the 
uh, on the border with uh, any kind of navigable waterway is the Colorado River. So by statute, if the Coast Guard doesn't do it, then the sheriff is responsible for that. So I take care of that part. You know, our main focus with uh, the Highway Patrol or Department of Public Safety in Arizona is the high-profile presence of them on the interstates and the highways because that's a big deterrent right there. And with uh, Operation Stone Garden, we we actually help fund DPS as well as other local law enforcement agencies to work on an overtime basis to put out that higher-profile presence of law enforcement to deter that criminal activity that uh, so often gets embedded in these type of situations that we're dealing with. So we're down there each and every day filling that gap in our communities where we would normally not have somebody where they're actually down there for that high-profile presence to uh, deter the, the criminal element from trying to exploit the weaknesses that are out there. Can you tell us about how many deputies you have in the county? I've got uh, 98 98. So I just want our audience to appreciate, I mean, certainly you guys have your, your challenges, but the article we just put out on Hidalgo County, um, New Mexico, they got four <laughs> and it's, um, Oh yeah. yeah. It's, uh, there's some small counties down there. You know, you, you, you got to look, I mean, for the most part, I mean, Arizona has, uh, as far as the four of us have, have quite a bit, you you heard how many miles that I've got. But, I mean, it, you, you got to look at the ruralness, too. And the response times for them are a heck of a lot longer. I can tell you that, uh, you know, when, when I got an officer that's got to run to uh, emergency and it's uh, 40, 50 miles away, 60 miles away, it takes a while to get there. And that's what the ranchers are trying to get across is, you know, they probably need that fencing to protect their, their families because... Yep. Law enforcement is only how many minutes away when you live in rural America. Exactly. It's exactly. not like a big city where you, you get a response time of two to three minutes. I mean, our average response time for calls is about 14 in wow. the county. No, and that you that know, makes a big difference as to how far they can get in and... Um, I mean, that's yeah. that's that's what's laughable about Pelosi's comments with the Normandy fencing, because the Border Patrol um, agent in charge at that point of entry there, Antelope Wells, said that, hey, they got the, the, it's it's only vehicle barriers there. That's what they have in New Mexico. Um, they don't have the fencing that you have in those parts of Yuma. And um, they're just coming right right across. It's uh, it's not yeah. helping. No, it's not, and it's endangering those people. So, yeah, that's why we said that uh, they they need to get their heads out of the sand and start paying attention to the boots on the ground that are telling them what they need. It's not a red or blue issue; it's a red, white, and blue issue that we're dealing with. And, and indeed, uh, without getting you into too much trouble, it seems like unlike in New Mexico, you do have some red, um, officially red elected officials that don't necessarily act right. So um, it, it swings both ways, I guess. Uh, well, and my thing is, I, I don't, you know, when people call 911, they don't say to send send a Democrat or Republican or Independent <laughs> or Green Party. When they call 911, they say, send me law enforcement. I don't, I don't care what party you are. This has nothing to do with politics. You need to get it out of it, period. And you that's want to put politics into something, put it into something else. But that, that drives sheriffs nuts is you don't ever convolute 
public safety with the rhetoric of politics. That just tells you that the character of that politician, they aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They ought to be fired. You get the politics out of public safety, period. Wow. And what they're doing now is a joke. No truer words ever spoken. Get politics out of public safety. I mean, and that's that's the thing. There's nothing, you know. There's nothing about this that's abortion, guns, taxes, health care. You know, it, it that that's what it's just astounding. It is just to me, it's just astounding when you have a county cry for help and say, you know, because because imagine a county there. Um, and you briefed us on Yuma, but this county with four sheriff's deputies, it's it's slightly smaller than your county, but it's still something like 3,400 square miles. Uh, I mean, 34,000, uh, yeah, 3,400 square miles. And um, they're getting even more migrants than you're getting. Um, and for their governor to say what he said, he's probably never been there. No, I, I, that, that, and, and that's the governor. We're not even talking about the feds there, which is just... Oh, just as that's asinine because it, he's probably never been there. He's not engaged with the rural areas, and that happens. They they get up in the big cities, and that's where they're from, and that's what they're used to. And they don't listen to the rural areas and what they need because that's not their voter base. No, it isn't. And you see that you see that all along the 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 country. No matter where you're at, they're more engaged with the larger populations because that's the voter base and that's what they need to tailor their politics to. And uh, much like most sheriffs, I don't care what party you are, it's the character of the person. And what are you doing to fulfill your obligation to protecting the citizens that you serve as a whole? Well, Sheriff, I really think at some point we need to put together a field hearing. You know, have people like like Paul Goser. I got friends who are congressmen in Texas, like Chip Roy, and that's you know we're trying to just get a bunch of people together and get people like you, border sheriffs, Texas DPS people. Um, I have a friend who you know is retired border chief, Mark Morgan. He was the border chief in 2016. He talks about a lot of this. We had him on the show last week. I think there needs to be some sort of public forum just of people that actually dealt with the issue rather than just just the politicians that literally don't know anything and don't don't care to educate themselves. Well, you know, I, I testified right after uh, when when General Kelly was appointed to Department of Homeland Security. I testified right behind him, sitting alongside Sheriff Joe Frank Martinez from Valverde, Texas, who was the uh, DPS uh, director from Texas. Mm. And we all three testified right after General Kelly and told him what was needed. And, you know, it's it's a shame because they, testimony upon testimony, some of them used it as a platform to hold up their posters and cry out immigration issues. And it's public safety and immigration, although intertwined in certain aspects of it because of what we're seeing now, is a whole different ballgame. you got to do public safety, homeland security first, and then look at the immigration and, stuff. But you got to enforce the rules that you have now first. I think that's really an important point you just made because, look, we could debate over how many immigrants you want to bring in a year, 500,000, a million, 2 million. Okay, you want 10 million, whatever it is. I got my views on that. I wrote a book on it, but we could debate that. But why why should cross-border migration 
ever be up to debate. I think the biggest obfuscation that you have in this debate, and tell me if you agree with this, is that people, even the good guys, I think, in Washington, the better guys, haven't done a good good enough job explaining to people that this is not some organic la-la land where just organically people just come across seeking a better life. It's that there's something in between those people and here, and that's the cartels. And right. once you understand that, it, it colors everything because they literally have operational control, direct the flows, service decoys. And I don't understand how, you know, if, if people would understand in that sphere, like you're saying, that's not immigration. That's national security when you have these cartels that are multi billion dollar entities, some of them operating um, in 40 countries, Sinaloa's massive, Zetas. Uh, Jalisco, Golfo, I mean, all of them. And, you know, the pictures you see of the beheadings they do and all sorts of stuff, I just don't understand how, you know, if you had ISIS or Al-Qaeda directing a flow of migrants in our country, you know, is that is that an immigration issue or is that a national security issue? So, I mean, I don't see why these people are different than, um, you know, other than maybe the religious component. You know, isn't it kind of the same same concern? Well, it, it makes you wonder what what is driving them to be doing what they're doing. What is the what is the reason for all of a sudden being you know uh, speaking with a forked tongue? Because not long ago they were all for it, and now all of a sudden they're totally against it. So I, I don't understand what what the drive is for them to be doing what they're doing, especially with you know, you look at the amount of money, taxpayer money, that these same individuals are sending to these same countries to help them with their problems. But yet those individuals are still fleeing that country and coming here. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand it. What What is their end game right now? Well, the end game is not Americans, and that's that's the problem. Somehow, it has become um, part of Western culture, not in a good way. Where it's not cool to care about your own people, and and you're somehow more virtuous if you care about other people. But you know, once you do that, and you just uh, um, you know support such insane things, you're not even compassionate to them either. As we see all the trickle down effects, as you uh, briefed us on. Yeah, they're they're not living in reality. No, for I sure. I can tell not. you that. Not anyway, when it comes um, to homeland security. No, exactly. So we we've gone over time here, but this was this was well worth it. Thanks so much for taking away, gosh, more than an hour of your busy time uh, protecting the good citizens of Arizona. Well, um, would you please come back again? Sure, you bet. All righty, there you have it, folks. That was Sheriff Leon Wilmot. Wow. So wasn't that spectacular? I could I could have let him go on forever, but you're you're gonna get this sense the more we have people like this on that these guys are really old school. What I mean by old school is they're not even like me, you know. Where every okay, let let's score this political point or you know expose the radicalism of the left here. They're they're really not about it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's not political; it shouldn't be political. But these guys really mean it, and um. That's why I just really like speaking to guys like this. Because you have to remember, this guy was doing this since the fir- since the beginning of the Mexican wave after the first amnesty. So he really gets a full uh, full spectrum view of it.
So, you know, God bless him. And it's just, it's just such a shame. This is really where you see, as we mentioned yesterday, the core violation of the social contract. Um, there, there's a lot of other stuff going on. I do have to give credit to the Trump administration. They did two good things on immigration. Number one, they have, they're in the process of limiting H-1B visas to truly skilled workers, as it was supposed to be. Not your run-of-the-mill guy from India with a bachelor's in, in computers that, you know, it's a $60,000 job that they just want to get a guy for $45,000. There's nothing extraordinary about that. Um, so that that is actually good. Another p- good piece of news is this is the first administration. I got to give Cisna credit, the uh, director of USCIS. He is clamping down on birth tourism. You know, because they have to state if you apply for a visa why you are coming in, why you are coming in, and they lie. They're coming in to have a baby. So they're going after them, which is a good thing. They're prosecuting them. And that that's the key. Notice what both he and Sheriff um, Daniel sp- spoke about. It's an angle of this that even the conservative congressmen don't really mention much. Prosecutions. If you know you get over and we're going to prosecute you, rather than giving you U.S. citizenship for your kids, well, then, you know, you won't come. It's all deterrent. It's all demagnetizing. Enforce the darn laws. It's that simple. Obviously, they don't want to do that. Republicans are out to lunch or want the cheap labor. Democrats want the votes and they're just not going to give it up. So now, unfortunately, has become as political as any other issue. They're also, by the way, and ICE announced today they're indicting eight individuals for exploiting the U.S. student visa system. So these are a lot of ancillary aspects to our immigration system. Good for them. Good for them. That's good news. So we're going to link to our New Mexico piece. If you look at that piece, you're going to see in there pretty much everything we're talking about is encapsulated in Hidalgo County. I'm trying to get a hold of some of their officials to do more work on that, maybe speak with some people on air, but we're going to have to wait until next week. Um, This is obviously, I I hate to let you guys go. I know you guys really look forward to this. I look forward to it. But we're going to be out a couple days next week. Probably the first time in ages that I'm going to go without internet. Because I'm going to be on this barrier island. A, it's cheaper. You know, no cars. You take a boat there. And B, I like it better anyway. So... No internet reception. I'm going to miss the State of the Union address. I'm probably not going to want to come back, but uh, we're really excited. This is actually my wife's first time flying since we were married. And that's how tied down she's been with the kids. (laughs) When you have three young boys, um, she's always with them. So God bless my sister, brother-in-law, for volunteering to watch three young boys. That is really nice of them because we couldn't have done this without them. It's very special. Um, God truly did not intend for a man to be alone. And, you know, it is it is really what keeps me going in life, having my partner and my soulmate. So I'm just really excited, if nothing else, just to spend time with my wife without fighting liberals, without dealing with the kids, as, as much of a blessing as kids are. 
So forgive me for the next couple of days, I will be totally out of it. And obviously it's going to take a little while to get back up to speed to give you the best information, but continue to go to conservativereview.com. I got my disciples, Chris Pandelfo, Nate Madden, Jordan Schachtel. Um, They put out good stuff as well. And uh, also feel free to send me emails. I might not see them right away, but you could send me emails, send me your thoughts, your questions, what type of guests you want me to have on. Um, I know a lot of you like it when I do have new people on. So that's what I've been looking to do. But enjoy the long weekend. I certainly will. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.